Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here we go, Hour 2, a great day for talk radio and an uh, interesting tidbit. Adam Vancouverden, the Olympic kayaker, is uh, running under the liberal banner in Milton against uh, Lisa Wright. Of course, that might give him a leg up because uh, any guy with a paddle is obviously uh, going to be seen as a boon to a country that's already up a certain river uh, without one. So let's uh, wait and see exactly how that goes. The election is still several moons away, and uh, there is a whole lot of ground to traverse. Uh, We're going to get to our panel ourselves in about uh, 15 minutes' time. Topics worthy of discussion. What the heck is going on with cultural appropriation? You know, it's rearing its head in so many different places and ways. Uh, there was that comedian, the white guy with cornrows uh, in his hair, and he was uh, kicked out of a comedy show at the University of Montreal because, well, it was cultural appropriation. White dude should not be wearing cornrows. Did you know that? And now, oh, this gets even more interesting. Uh, in Greece, big demonstrations on the weekend, 60,000 people in the plaza in front of their parliament building because they don't want the Greek government to concede that uh, the country just north of them have Macedonia in its name. That really is a flashpoint. If you ever talk to Greek people, they go sideways whenever you mention Macedonia. Macedonia is Greek. It's the home of Alexander the Great, Philip of Macedon. And yet, you know, the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia now wants to change its name from the acronym to North Macedonia. Cultural appropriation? Well, it's a topic worthy of discussion. Uh, White guy cooking with curry? Could be cultural appropriation. We don't know. We'll find out. Our panel's going to weigh in. Adrian Batra, Mike Van Solen, and David Sparrow. On more serious matters, although that's not to belittle those who stand on principle that you can't go to certain areas because you are appropriating culture, I want to talk to an immediate concern. This one was flagged, and uh, appropriately so. It turns out now that there are tw- have been 29 homicides in long-term care homes here in Ontario in the past six years, and uh, this according to the head of the Ontario Health Coalition, Natalie Mayra, who's joined the Oakley Show to explain what the Dickens is going on and what these numbers actually foretell as we've got an aging population. Natalie, good to have you on the show. Good afternoon. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. This seems rather uh, alarming, I guess is the word. 29 homicides in long-term care homes in the past six years. Uh why would that be? 20, 26, or 29, rather, homicides. How do we define this? So a homicide is um, is a, a case where a person, you know, grabs a pipe or a piece of metal and beats another resident to death. These are resident-on-resident resident homicides. Or it might be a resident, these are residents with dementia, you know, walking down a hall, may push and shove another resident and hit them in the head, and that resident may die of their injury subsequently. It's horrible. And the, the residents are very frail and um, can be very, very badly hurt quite easily. And so 
these are resident-on-resident homicides. Often the person who's perpetrating the homicide and the victim are both people with dementia, and they're living in long-term care homes where people put family members because they can't take care of them anymore safely at home often, and they think that they're in a place that's safe. And so we wanted, you know, we came across these increasing complaints about violence in the homes and at the very extreme end, these homicides in the homes. And we wanted to look more deeply at what was going on because obviously this is a very serious problem and it deserves some public scrutiny. Well, and this is your role actually with the Ontario Health Coalition because you are de facto watchdog on these matters. Were you at all taken aback by the number or uh, is that something that you've known for a while? Is this like a, a nasty little secret within the aged community? Well, I knew that there were numbers of deaths because I'd been reading about them, but I didn't realize the sheer numbers, um, John. And then when we looked at the the data and we compared the homicide rates in long-term care homes, so that's nursing homes in Ontario, and we looked at the homicide rate in Toronto, and we looked at the homicide rate in a city the same size as the nursing home sector, so there's 80,000 people approximately in nursing homes, we found that the homicide rate in long-term care homes was four times that of the rate of Toronto and eight times that of cities that are similarly sized to the size of the nursing homes. And that was, I think, totally shocking to us. I mean, what that means in plain language is that nursing homes have a higher homicide rate than virtually anywhere else in our society. And clearly that cannot continue to be tolerated. And uh, I guess if I can even add to that, uh, it seems this number may have been underreported. Yeah. Definitely, it's underreported because we found other homicides that weren't included in the coroner's numbers, likely because the people died, you know, a week later, two weeks later in the hospital, and so they didn't die in the long-term care home, and so they weren't captured in the numbers. So we think, yes, that these are lower than the real numbers, but, you know, regardless, what we found was that there's a continuum of violence. I mean, homicides are the extreme end of it, but... But the level of violence in the homes is really has increased to a level that really is da- it's dangerous and it's causing suffering. And we have to get our policymakers to intervene. And these are choices. You know, we looked at other jurisdictions and they don't have anywhere near the rates of homicide or violence that we do. This is a particular situation in Ontario because we've cut so many hospital beds and moved so many patients out and they're psychogeriatric patients, so they're geriatric patients with psychological problems or um, chronic care hospital patients moved into long-term care but funded at a third of the rate without the staffing and without the care levels required for the complexity and heaviness of their care needs. In other words, uh, somebody has failed to address or even appreciate dementia-related aggression. That's right. It's really, you know, it's the twin um, characteristic of long-term care homes is insufficient care, you know, insufficient levels of care that have allowed this le- this level of violence to proliferate. Well, as the population ages, it kind of stands to reason if you're looking at, you know, the curve uh Unless this is addressed adequately, it's going to actually, the numbers will increase. Uh, yeah, or, you know. definitely. So what would definitely. you advocate then, being in the position that you are? You're the executive director of the Ontario Health Coalition, Natalie. What would you advocate in a perfect world? 
Well, you know what? Policymakers know about this. The coroner has flagged this for the provincial government in five years of successive reports, at least five years of reports, and it's been ignored. And so we really, you know, we want the public to help put pressure on the government and say that this is intolerable. You know, it, it crosses all moral boundaries. It's inhumane to send people who are vulnerable, who have paid their whole lives into the public health system in our society, and to not provide for them when they need it. And every other province can do better in most measures than we do. We certainly can do better here. And so immediately, they can improve the care levels in long-term care homes. They can require homes to bring in four hours of care per day per resident at a minimum. That is the evidence-based measure that shows improvements in outcomes. So they can do that. They can bring in behavioral supports that specialize teams to help with the people who have these aggressive behaviors. They can stop the hospital cuts. All those things can happen right away and start to improve things and start to restore safety to the long-term care homes. I'm kind of curious because we're talking about resident-on-resident violence, but what about staff? Now, uh, you know, I mean, I can cite readily uh, the Elizabeth Wetlaufer case is probably the most extreme, but that just again compounds or it punctuates, I guess, the uh, vulnerability of the agent when you're so reliant on uh, the caregiver. What about caregivers, though? Uh, Any stats to support that there are also uh, perpetrators of violence on vulnerable residents? I don't know of any systematic studies that look at, like, the number of staff or the percentage of staff that abuse or neglect residents. At this point, there's so few. Like, every home that I go to, and I've traveled Ontario nonstop for 18 years doing this, um, really, they're all working short-staffed all the time. I think that is, those are terrible conditions to work in. It's very, very hard on this stuff. I know that there's a PSW shortage as a personal support worker. Those are the, you know, daily, daily hands-on care people in the homes. And there's a, like a crisis shortage across Ontario of those staff members. In the report, what we looked at was resident-on-resident violence and then injury rates among the staff. And we, what we found was the highest, you know, healthcare has the second highest injury rate of any industry in Ontario. Long-term care has doubled the injury rate of health care. It's the highest rate of injury of any industry in Ontario. So what we did find was that the staff themselves are getting hurt at the highest rates of any industry in the province. So, so there you've got uh, like both ends of the equation yeah. uh, to bookend it. Uh, these are fraught with all kinds of violence, violent uh, episodes in these long-term care facilities. So again, uh, more staffing, more resources... More money. Yeah, more support for everyone involved, right? So that, you know, and, and to stop offloading these incredibly complex heavy care patients into places that are not designed to take them without enough staff and resources to take them and to have them be safe. And understanding the nature of dementia as well and uh, how deleterious it is, you know, and, and rapidly uh, sees people in decline. Uh, yeah. You know, that's that's the other thing. I don't know if there's, uh, you know, adequate uh, attention being paid to that. That's your line of work. But uh, hopefully, you know, that can be addressed in some way, shape or form. As I say, as the population is aging, uh, it's not going to get any better uh, status quo. So we're going to have to address that. All right. Mm-hmm. And by the way, some of these cases, you know, if you have the person with dementia and they lash out, uh, what what is the uh, process then that deals with them? I mean, can they be sued uh, civilly, they're taken to court. I mean, in the cases of the homicide, you know, an octogenarian or a nonagenarian, do they end up in court for that? Well, it looks like 
it seems that it's different in each case and depends on the jurisdiction. There's a case in Mississauga where um, Keith Wood was um, killed by another resident um, and that gentleman who is over 80 has been charged and he's in court now in Brampton. He appears to have dementia and, you know, ultimately I think he'll probably, I mean, who knows what will happen, but um, but he's been charged with manslaughter and that's ongoing. In a lot of cases, the person, you know, the perpetrator, they have dementia and they are not fit to stand trial. I mean, they just, they don't even know what they're doing. They're not, they're not criminally culpable mm-hmm. for making you know, for, for, for those behaviors. Like, it's a tragedy all around. It's a tragedy. Imagine the last act of your life is, you know, to kill someone by mis- inadvertently because you don't know what you're doing. It's awful for their families. It's awful for the victims. I mean, everyone deserves to be protected from that. And that's just not happening now. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on and shedding light on this and uh, continue to advocate uh, because it is obviously uh quite the concern when 29 homicides and this is a number as i said earlier could be uh, greatly underreported 29 homicides in these long-term care facilities over the last six years in the province natalie i appreciate you coming on board and giving us uh the insight into something that needs to be addressed john thanks for having me again take you, care you got it and you too natalie may again executive director of the ontario health coalition Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.